When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the new schedule is out. The 2024 SCC schedule is going to be an absolute gauntlet. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But welcome into the Hard Count, the people's college football show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about this beautiful sport. We are live in living color, as we always are every Tuesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. We have got an enormous show lined up for y'all. We're going to talk about the SEC schedule, but we also have Ryan Day, the head coach for the Ohio State Buckeyes that we sat down with, had a conversation with about his quarterback battle, about the depth they have on the defensive side of the ball, and just the standard at Ohio State. Because I'll say this now, it is no secret what the standard is at Ohio State. Like I'm saying what the standard is, it's beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, win a national title. So for Ryan Day now, as he continues to lead this team forward, there's going to be a lot of conversation and a lot of pressure on them going into 2023 as Michigan now has the Big Ten crown. So we'll talk about that. And in that same vein, there is a lot of pressure on contenders that are having new quarterbacks. And Clemson's one of those teams. Ohio State's going to be one of those teams. Georgia's one of those teams. So how much pressure, 1 through 10, is on those quarterbacks? And what do they need to do to, to get to the top of the mountain, if you will? Also, it's schedule prediction season. If you've been keeping up with us on TikTok over at On3, you know what we've been doing over here, talking about the win totals for your favorite team today on the docket. We've got Oklahoma and Nebraska. So a little bit of a doubleheader there for you. We are less than 70-something days away from college football, and I can't wait. I'm so glad you're here. We say this every show because we have a lot of y'all that are new and, and tuned in right now, so thank you for that. But you have a lot on your plate. We have a lot of y'all that have hit us up and told you how or told us how you listen, whether you're doing your summer job, whether you're at your real job working the eight to five, whether you're at summer school, whatever it is, we're glad you're here. We're glad you found us. This is a safe spot. We're only talking college football, so kick them up for the next hour. Whatever you got, let it fade into the background, and we're gonna have a real good time. All right. Let's get after it here. Without further ado. Let's talk about the most pressing news in the college football world. That is the 2024 SEC schedule dropped last night. Really quickly, shout out to the SEC with how they released this thing. Usually the you know conference schedule will drop for whatever conference and it'll kind of come out on Twitter or you'll see a press release like credit to the SEC for doing a chess move here and saying we know we got your attention we know you want to hear what we're going to do here in 2024 with OU and Texas joining us and made probably a lot of money out of it now you and I both you know won't see any of that money but it kind of felt like an event like I felt like I should have had college game day in the morning and then that event at night in prime time so shout out to the SEC for that but before we get into the schedule there's three things we need to preface this with and the first of which being, this is not the permanent model. The SEC was under a lot of heat for going with an eight-game conference schedule in 2024. And the way that I'm reading this, they're saying, hey, there's two things that are coming into play here if we go to a nine-game conference model, like a lot of y'all want us to. You want us to go to nine conference games? Well, you better find a way to pay us for that ninth conference game. So that's a chess move. Credit to them. The other piece of this is they're going to see how the college football playoff treats strength of record. 
It's no secret now, the SEC, especially adding Texas and OU, it is going to be an absolute hunger games of what we have come to know throughout the college football landscape. Like, it is going to be earn your check every single week in the SEC, as it always was before. But they want to see, okay, do you treat a two-loss team in the SEC differently than maybe a two-loss team in the Big Ten? Or let's take it a step further, a three-loss team in the SEC. Are we still getting in the dance? Because if we're not, then we're going to go ahead and schedule FCS Northwest and be just fine doing that and take ourselves to the college football playoff. So expanding to 12 in 2024, when this schedule will become a reality, but just making sure we're on the same page. This is not a permanent model. Like I just said a second ago, it is divisionless. There is no more split down the middle in the SEC. It is, we take the top two teams, y'all have it out in Atlanta at the end of the year, and that's going to be how we decide a champion. It's not going to be win the SEC West and you play for it. Like, no, 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 no more of that. So making sure we're on the same page here, you could see a rematch. Like we could see the Iron Bowl on the last week of the regular season. Then they take that show to Atlanta and play it again. If Auburn were to hold up there into the bargain and Alabama comes back to being what we know Alabama to be. So making sure we're on the same page there. And also we, we've kind of wrapped this all into one. But the third point is the college football playoff is expanding. And that's a very big part of if they do go to that ninth conference game. All right. So I think the thing that we got to talk about first is the newcomers, right? Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. And for Texas, let's take a look at the, what they uh, drew for the 2024 slate. And they got Florida at home. They got Georgia at home. They got Kentucky and Mississippi State all at home. Arkansas, Texas A&M, Vandy on the road. And then obviously Oklahoma will be a neutral site game. So the thing that's not listed on this schedule in SEC play, at least, is Texas actually in 2024 will also go to Ann Arbor, Michigan and play Jim Harbaugh and company. So there was a lot of people that I saw talking about, well, Texas got off easy with the schedule and then Oklahoma's is much tougher. Right now, that might be how it looks. But Texas, if they are to make the college football playoff in 2024, they will have to go through Michigan. They'll have to play a Georgia. Like, I promise you, the, the deck is, is still pretty stacked if you're a Texas fan as well. Now, for Oklahoma, let's take a look at what they got. They got Bama at home. They got Tennessee. They got South Carolina at home. And then they go to Auburn, to LSU, to Ole Miss, to Missouri. So four games on the road in the SEC. And I want to kind of address what I just talked about a second ago. There's a lot of people that are saying, man, look at the cards that Oklahoma drew compared to Texas. Man, Oklahoma's schedule is so much tougher. And yes, today that might kind of be how it looks if you're just looking at the SEC slate. But we have to keep in mind here, this is still a year away. <laughs> like we're still going to have a whole 2023 season we're going to play, a whole bunch more data we're going to get before we have a proper view of how difficult this slate is going to be. To put it in context, this time last year, we all thought Texas A&M was a dark horse college football playoff team. They missed a bowl game in 22. Like we view A&M much differently right now than we did a season ago. And I'm just saying the same could be true for some of these opponents that Texas and Oklahoma drew. Like we don't know what Florida's going to be in a year. Right now, people have their own opinion of Billy Napier. What if Florida goes off and rattles off nine wins? What happens if that happens? And we're looking at Florida much differently on Texas's schedule. What if Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, what if they punch a ticket to the playoff? These are big what ifs. These aren't predictions, but I'm just saying we have to sort of hold our judgment on what this 2024 slate is going to look like because we have no idea what's about to happen in 2023. 
Everybody wants to speak in absolutes and college football teams are this and that. It's like, this is two years away. <laughs> we got a whole season to get through. And then this time next year, we'll talk about what this is going to look like for these teams. So if you feel slighted as a Texas or an OU fan or anybody else in the SEC, just understand now, there is a lot more that's going to go into this before we get a proper gauge for the difficulty ahead for these schools. So really quickly, make sure you subscribe. We've got a lot of y'all that are new to the show. We're glad to have you here. Go ahead and like the video. We got that little streak going on right now of over 100 likes before we get off air. A little thumbs up icon before we get out of here. Appreciate you for that. And again, we talk ball every single day. Every single day we're talking college football. We're live twice a week, but we'd love to have you a part of this operation. We're also on podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them. You can find us if you just type in the hard count. All right, so thank you in advance for that. So some other notes. I think when you look across the board here, and again, we're still a year away from this being a reality. You look across the board, I feel like it was pretty fair. Like, I feel like the majority of, you know, the opponents these teams drew, I think the SEC kept it pretty even. The one team, if you, if you want to complain, there's one fan base that I would listen to, and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, look at what they got here. They got Georgia, South Carolina. They got them both at home, but then you go to LSU, I would imagine that'll be a night game in Death Valley at Oklahoma, at Tennessee, like <laughs> Alabama, man. They're going to run the gauntlet. Trey Kennedy, one of our producers here, he's an Alabama alum. We were talking before the show and he's like, dude, I don't want to complain, but Alabama <laughs> got the absolute just last card you want to draw when you're looking at the SEC's conference schedule. So Again, we'll see what these teams look like a year from now, but if there's one school that can complain, I think it's Alabama. Tennessee also drew, you know, not the most favorable cards. But I think when you look at this, all that happened was you added either Oklahoma or Texas for most of these schools. Now, Georgia's going to play Bama, and Bama's going to play Georgia. Like, I understand that's a two-sided coin. But for the most part, you kept most of the rivalries intact, which we're all happy about, and you added a beautiful... I don't know if rivalry game is the right word to say. Texas A&M, Texas will be a rivalry game. You added another big-time brand you're going to play against. And so what I would say for the SEC faithful, even if you're not juiced about what you got ahead of you, there's a couple of things I, I would say with this. This is what you signed up for, right? Like, this is what you signed up for being in the SEC. Th this is what you get up on Saturday morning for and get excited about is playing in the best conference in college football. Knowing each and every week, you are going to earn your paycheck. That's how it is in the SEC. It's big boy football. And you love that. And there's been so much talk in SEC circles welcoming Texas and OU and saying they're in for a rude awakening. Like, I don't know if they understand what they're getting into. And whether that's true or not, Texas and OU fans, I put out a, a poll on my Twitter page last night, and I, I put out something on, on my Instagram. I just said, how do y'all feel about this? How are we feeling about the, the conference revealed tonight, the conference schedule revealed tonight? And a lot of y'all kind of said the same thing. It was, you know, we're a little bit on edge to see who we do draw and see where we are going to go play. But the overwhelming sentiment that I got was bring it on. Most of y'all were saying, we're excited. We've been waiting for this. We're waiting to prove ourselves. Everybody wants to talk about the Big 12's this, the Big 12's that, and it's always that asterisk talking about Texas and OU and what they do at the end of the year. There's not going to be any of that for any of these teams. This is going to be the most vicious regular season slate in all of college football week in and week out. So if you're on any of these teams, if you're any of these fans, you're saying, all right, we're going to have a very legitimate product when we see that final record, there will be no questions about what we did in the regular season. 
you will know that we went through the gauntlet, went through the Hunger Games of college football to arrive wherever we arrive in December. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And as a fan of this sport that you and I love, last night felt like college football Christmas, man. Like looking at all these games that we're going to have, Georgia-Bama. I mean, we, we got Oklahoma-LSU. We got Oklahoma-South Carolina. I mean, Texas-Florida. Like the games that we're going to get here just from a product. Think what you want about realignment. I've been on the front line saying I'm not a huge fan of realignment. I'm probably more in the traditionalist category. But all that is, is sort of by the wayside now. When we get these games, when it comes to Saturday morning, man, I'll tell you what, that Reese Davis monologue when Georgia comes to Texas, and I imagine college game day will be there, that's going to hit different, man. That's going to be special. And I know tradition is tradition, and that's what I love about this game. When they kick it off on Saturday, when it's the first possession and it's Texas against Georgia and they're finally playing the game, like that's going to be a lot of fun. If we get Arch Manning versus Ryan Puglisi or Arch Manning versus Dylan Raiola, like that's going to be incredible. And when that's happening, we're not going to be thinking about, man, I wish conference realignment went this way, that way, or the other way. So the sport itself, as long as Saturday gets here now, as long as they don't shave the week down to six days a week and pull Saturday out of the mix, we're going to be just fine as a sport. And this conference slate is going to be an absolute movie to watch week in and week out. So if you're a fan of the SEC, you win. If you're a fan of college football, you win. If you just love seeing good ball, you win. Now, it's not going to be an easy road, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So that's our thoughts on the SEC slate. There's a lot we could unpack there. Listen, we probably could have done a three-hour show just on the SEC schedule and gone team by team. Who's to say we won't do that at some point? Maybe this time next year we'll unpack it a little bit more deeply. But I think as a whole, there's a lot to be excited about with the SEC slate. All right, a lot of y'all are tuned in live right now. If we had everybody that's tuned in live right now, like the video. We would keep the streak alive. We'd be at seven shows in a row with 100 likes before we get off air. I'm just going to put that in y'all's court. I have complete faith. We'll get that done. So thank you in advance for that. Again, we're on podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get them, you can find the hard count. We appreciate y'all being locked in with us. So we got the privilege and the honor to sit down with one of the best coaches in the country. Head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, Ryan Day, talked to us about the quarterback battle that he has going on, how he's going to evaluate that. We asked him if he thinks that could go into the first few games of the season, because if you watch the show, you know that's my opinion. I think that could be a good way for Ohio State to go if it's not clear in fall camp. And asked him if there's a chip on his team's shoulder right now, given what's happened the last couple of years in that rivalry game and the talk around the Big Ten. So enough about me, enough of my opinion on this. Here's the head coach of the Buckeyes, Ryan Day. And we are now joined by the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes coach Ryan Day. Coach, appreciate you making time. How are we doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks. Awesome. Well, hey, coach, I want to start with this. There's going to be a lot of talk about your quarterback room and Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, but you played some quarterback yourself at New Hampshire. And I want to ask you this. If you put Marvin Harrison Jr. on that offense with you, what kind of stat line are we looking at? Well, um, we, we did okay. At the time, uh, one double A football, my my coordinator was Chip Kelly and we were, um, you know, really kind of at the the forefront, I guess, of the no huddle offense and, and tempo offense. We were going as fast as we possibly could. 
Uh, we had some good players, uh, a couple that went on to play in the NFL, actually, and a couple that went on to uh, Canada to play. But we certainly did not have Marvin Harrison. And uh, if we did, maybe our record would have been a little different. There you go. Yeah, I think most teams across the country would uh, do quite a bit to get Marvin Harrison Jr. on their roster. But what uh, what a lot of people are talking about right now is who's going to be throwing him the football. And as it goes into fall camp, I know there's a lot that's going to go on on your end with evaluating that room. But what is it that you're looking for when it comes to, to fall camp? We had Urban Meyer on the show, and he said when he was evaluating his quarterback battles, it was who leads touchdown drives. Is there something like that for you that you're watching with these guys? Yeah, what you're trying to do is is project the best you can on who's going to win games. And that sounds simple, but boy, it's not easy. And when you're practicing, uh, you're not able to hit the quarterback. You know, we, we, we don't do that. Not only that, but we have to be careful about the rush and the defensive line and the offensive line in front of the quarterback. You know, we're not going to put them right in his lap. You know, certainly, you, you, you know, you don't do that. So how do you best project out how a quarterback's going to play. And um, and so that that takes a little bit of work. You won't really know until you get in, get him into a game and let him go. But you do try to get a feel for those type of things because it's not just about individual plays. And when we teach and install, we try to segment as much as we can as coaches. But the quarterback has to play. And the impact that he has on a game is going to be critically important in making great decisions. And coach, is that something where you're considering letting it go even into the first couple of games, or is it, hey, we want to have a guy by game one and we'll roll from there? Uh, you know, you don't know. It's hard to project. It's hard to project, and and that's, you know, you have to try to figure that out the best you can through scrimmages, and you know, we try to segment as much as we can, but then we try to do get some situations where you have to move it, you have to move the ball down the field, and that sometimes means checking the ball down. Sometimes it means. You know, uh, you know, try to fit into a tight window. Sometimes you have to cut your losses. And um, those are all the things that I think when people talk about it, you know, what what is it? Those are all the things. And sometimes it only comes down to two or three of those per game. So when we had CJ two years ago in that first Minnesota game, you just don't know until you get out there and play. So uh, we'll try to do the best we can in evaluating them, continuing to evaluate them in August, and then let them play in September. Well, regardless, they'll be obviously whoever's playing quarterback excited to throw to Marvin Harrison Jr., potentially the best player in the country. Is there something you want to see from him to even take his game to like a new level in 2023? I think when you look at our entire offense, probably some of the most skilled players that I've been around on one offense, certainly Marvin has a big part of it. But I think they all understand that you know, they need everybody. You know, Marvin just by himself, it can get doubled and you know, no run game. The safeties can can pretty much get down, uh, you know, or can can cover him. You know, when you start running the football on a consistent basis, they got to bring a safety out of the middle of the field. Or if there's not other good receivers on the field on third down, then he's just going to get doubled. So um, he understands that part of it. But uh, it's, you know, we, we had him in the slot in the spring. You know, he's mostly been as an outside receiver. He learned that in the spring. So he's grown that area. Um, but But just overall, I mean, He's always looking to improve, and his work ethic is tremendous. And Coach, you elevated Brian Hartline to OC for this coming season. Are there some subtle differences that people can expect from the Ohio State offense without giving away too much in-house information? You know, we work together. It's it's a collaboration. Always has been since we've got here. It started off with with uh, with with Coach Meyer, myself, 
Kevin Wilson. And then, and then it kind of, as time went on changed, but uh, now it's, you know, with Justin Fry and Brian Hartline and, and myself and just, you know, a lot of different minds in that room. And, and we're going to try to do the best we can to take the guys that we have and put them in the best position to be, to be successful. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's, it's real. And that's the art of coaching. So we're not just going to say, Hey, here's, here's a bunch of plays. These look cool. They work for somebody else. Let's just put them on the field. Uh, we don't look at it like that. We try to identify what our guys' strengths are and then play to them. We say it a lot on here. If it's cliche or, or it's coach speak, as fans like to say, means it's probably a pretty true statement. Uh, when it comes to Ohio State recruiting the receiver position, it seems like y'all do it better than anyone else in the country. What is it about Ohio State that is able to grab these top receivers for y'all? Well, I, I think it started with um, you know Michael Thomas before I got here, and some of the great wide receivers that have come before, and Teddy Ginn, and you know Brian was certainly a part of that. So it's just some really good receivers, and then um, in seventeen, as we as we you know kind of uh, started recruiting some of the quarterbacks, I think it kind of went hand in hand. Certainly, eighteen was a big year for us with Dwayne, uh, Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell. Um, just some unbelievable players in that class, but but it all kind of came together with Dwayne, and I think people saw the projection of where the offense was going. Then it went from there with Justin and Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and and now um, I think people see the blueprint. They see what it is, and they see not only the quarterback play and the wide receiver play, but also the the positions that you know we've been we've been able to put them in and the development. And I think all those things go hand in hand. Coach, switching gears to the defensive side of the ball, going to be year two under Jim Knowles as the defensive coordinator for you guys. What is the things you've noticed during spring in terms of your guys looking maybe even more comfortable than they were a season ago in this scheme? I've said this before. Year one, we you know we're learning what 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 the defense is. You're learning a new language. It's like learning, you know, Russian, and you you know you have to process the, the new terms. You have to process maybe some of the new coaching techniques. I think there was a lot of progress made last year. I thought we were much more aggressive. Um, but this offseason, I think a couple things happened. One, it's year two. So now we're learning not what to do, but how to do it and why to do it, you know, or why we're doing it. I think the next thing is, you know, having guys like Tommy Eichenberg back and much more experience across the board. We're getting almost everybody back on top of um, some additions, some additions at corner, um, you know, we have some good depth and and some good experience. So I think our defense was proud and we're all proud of, uh, you know, the progress that was made, but also just a bitter, bitter taste in our mouth coming off the last couple of games, you know, felt like there was just too many explosive plays, uh, but a huge emphasis here in the offseason. And, and we know if we want to reach our goals, we're going to have to win games on defense and you know, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. And, and, you know, the best teams we've had, we've done that. So they're taking pride in that and had a good off season. And there's a lot of guys like you just mentioned that are back on this defense from a season ago, Tommy Eichenberg being one of them, JT Tui Maloal being one of them, Denzel Burke, who are some of the guys that you're expecting to really contribute and step up in a big way in 2023 on the defensive side of the ball? Well, it starts with the front. Like you said, JTT and Jack uh, Kenyatta Jackson had a nice off season. Uh, inside Ty Hamilton, uh, Mike Mike Hall, Tyler Williams. I mean, if if we're going to be good on defense, we've got to be good up front. But you know, the three linebackers back of Tommy Steele and Cody, uh, there's there's experience there, there's uh, maturity there, which which is really good, and there's great leadership. 
Uh, I've been very impressed with the leadership across the board on this team, but uh, but certainly with that group. And, and then, um, you know, like you said, on the outside and the back end, um, probably as much depth as we've had at corner since I can remember here at Ohio State. Denzel and now Jordan has a full season. Uh, we've added Davidson uh, from Ole Miss. Um, Lorenzo Styles came in. Uh, Jair Brown is back. Um, you know, we have some young guys that were, were very uh, bullish on with uh, Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt. Um, and then and then at safety, you know, Sonny Styles comes back now after reclassifying and really playing as a senior in high school. So uh, he he looks a lot different. Uh, we have Lathan coming back. Josh Proctor, you know, has some experience. Uh, Cam Martinez. Uh, so, you know, J uh, Jihad Carter came in from from Syracuse. So, <clears throat> like I said, I, I think we have good depth um, and, and we have some good experience. Now it's time to go put it on the field. Just absolutely ridiculous to be able to play college football when you should be a senior in high school. That's a whole other conversation for another time, Coach. Uh, when it comes to how y'all use the portal, took nine guys from the portal, what is the philosophy going to be for you going forward? Is it going to be every year we're going to go to the portal and try and add talent, or is it going to be kind of a case-by-case -case basis year in and year out? Yeah, like everybody else across the country, we have folks here that uh, have the job responsibility to study the portal, identify the portal, evaluate the portal. But it isn't just about the talent. It's about the right fit. Uh, rarely uh, are we going to try to add somebody, just add somebody in the portal. This is a program that you don't just walk into. You know, with, with our offseason is really the backbone of our program and what Mick Marotti does and his staff in, in the weight room uh, in, in you know the winter and now in the summer. And so, you know, we take we take it very, very serious. Now, that being said, uh, you have to adapt with the times and you have to upgrade your roster. And when there are holes uh, based on guys who have left or whatever that reason is, you have to fill those holes. And um, that's what we're going to do. And when there's a hole, you know, we'll use the portal when appropriate. And coach, you even mentioned it earlier when it comes to maybe the motivation going into this coming season. It feels like everybody's talking about what Penn State's going to be, what Michigan's going to be. Is there kind of a chip on this team's shoulder internally? Well, there always is. Uh, the expectation, the standards never change. We've never wavered from that. We know, um, you know we've been to the CFP three of the last four years, um, you know, just a couple plays away from really, you know, winning it all and, and, and having an opportunity to play in the national championship game. So, um, you know, I think coming off of the way that the season ended, yeah, there, there was there was a chip on our shoulder. Um, but but I also am I'm really excited about the leadership here. You know, the guys that, um, you know, have come back, Xavier Johnson, you know, could have gone to the NFL. He decided to come back. Tommy Cade Stover. So there, there's, there's a veteran group here that that's driving this, but also uh, the third year players that are in the program, they, they played a lot as freshmen and that was a great class. So there's a lot more experience on this team than, than any team that I can remember in the past. Now, certainly the quarterback position and the O-line are two positions that we've got to really um, you know, identify who the right guys are for the right spots to, to play and make sure that they're good. But uh, but other than that, uh, I'm excited to see this team. I, I like this team a lot. You know, the feedback we've gotten we've got from Mick on a daily basis has been exciting. So um, got to go put it on the field. Uh, but this is a good group. Well, Coach, we appreciate all your time. Last question for you before we let you go. When it comes to those conversations internally, you mentioned the offseason kind of being the backbone of your program. How do you go about communicating expectations during the offseason when, when that season is so far away or, or so it seems? Uh, we know the expectations here. You know, we, we, you know, 
same year in and year out when the when the, the the rivalry game win the Big Ten and win the national championship. You know, certainly making the CFP uh, is important. But but if you take care of a couple of those goals, typically those those are going to happen. Um, and you know, we have you know we made it to three of the last four years, but but we haven't been able to finish it off. And um, you don't just get there; you, know, you have to work your way up to it. I think that's that's part of the thing that you know for young young people, you have to make sure you understand you have to build this thing the right way and the foundation the right way as you go. Uh, but but our guys know what it is. You know, we 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 want to win every game. Without a doubt. Well, Coach, we appreciate all your time. We appreciate you coming on here with all the busyness you've got heading into fall camp here in the not-too-distant future, and we're excited to see y'all get after it in the fall. All good. Thanks. Appreciate Coach Ryan Day jumping on the program there. A couple of takeaways from that interview. One, he was very conscious to not say Michigan. He said the rivalry game. Other piece of that, you could tell just by talking to him and, and hearing his answers to talking about the chip on their shoulder and the standard, like it's personal for Ohio State. It's always been personal, but when you get knocked down two years in a row, there's a little bit of an extra edge right now in the Ohio State camp, I would imagine. So excited to watch that one play out. Excited to watch who ends up starting at quarterback for the Buckeyes, huh? That's going to be fascinating. And I'll say this too. They have the luxury of having not one, but two five-star cats in that room. So it's kind of the equivalent of like a first world problem. But even so, you got to get it right. Got to get the quarterback position right if you want to get to where you want to go for Ohio State. But again, we appreciate Coach Day jumping on with us, which kind of parlays into our next segment I want to talk about. There is a lot of contenders across the country that will be playing new starting quarterbacks. And Ohio State's one of them. We'll get to them in just a second. But I, I kind of got my, my wheels turning just a little bit. Who's under the most pressure? of these new quarterbacks like one through 10 10 being the most pressure and one being no pressure at all spoiler alert there is nobody that we give a one out of 10 to on the pressure scale to these quarterbacks where are we at right now and i think the place we got to start at is in the big 10 conference but i want to talk about drew aller and we had james franklin on not too long ago and he was raving about drew said he can make nearly every throw on the field he's more mobile than people give him credit he came very highly recruited out of high school. Like he is, if you're a Penn State football fan, the savior of your program. Like everything that you believe about Penn State football in a positive manner this coming season, likely is supported by some sort of statement saying, well, we're going to be better at quarterback. Well, we got a five-star at quarterback. Well, we got someone we haven't seen in a while, talent-wise, playing quarterback for us at Penn State. And so all of those, I guess, accolades in the preseason – are good enough for me to give a 9.3 on the pressure scale to Drew Aller. Because think about it this way too. Everything else around Drew Aller at Penn State is in place. And maybe you have some reservations about the wide receiver group. That's fine. I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to be a dog for you. I think Dante Cephas, the transfer, is going to be a dog for you. You have one of the best backfields in the country. You have a defense that James Franklin came on here and talked about having some of the best depth they've had in a long time going to be better on the O-line. And so you kind of start checking these boxes and you talk about what Penn State wants to achieve, which is a college football playoff berth and play for a national title. And you feel confident about that because of what you assume Drew Aller is going to bring to the table. So I just want to say this, that's a lot of pressure on the kid. He's never played as a starting quarterback at Penn State just yet. Now, I think he'll be just fine. I think he's going to be phenomenal for them, but he is the pressure point. He is the piece for Penn State that could unlock the rest of the potential on this roster. So for us, Drew Aller, a 9.3 
on the pressure scale. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Make sure you like the video, that little thumbs up button under your picture you're seeing, and make sure you're subscribed right here. I'm, I'm not you know, naive to the fact that a lot of y'all are tuning in here for the first time, and so we're glad to have you. We're glad you found us. We talk college football every single day, and we do this live show twice a week, and we're in your podcast feed on Apple and on Spotify. So thank you in advance for that. Let's move along here. Let's go to the defending national champs, not once, but twice, the Georgia Bulldogs. Stetson Bennett has exhausted his college eligibility. Uh, we, we had Kirby Smart. I say we had Kirby Smart. We sat in that post-game press conference after the national title game in L.A., and Kirby Smart told a story about his kid coming off the field in the national title game and just kind of crying. Kirby Smart's like, man, what's wrong? Is some, was someone mean to you? Like, we just won the national title game. He said, man, Stetson, through tears, his impersonation was, Stetson's leaving. Kirby Smart said, yeah, Stetson has to leave. He's, he's been here for like 10 years. He's got to go. So enter into the fray a new quarterback. We're all assuming it's going to be Carson Beck, and I think that's a pretty safe assumption. So how much pressure is on Carson Beck? There's a lot of pressure on the brand at Georgia. There's a lot of pressure to go three in a row at Georgia because, quite frankly, they have everything available to them to get that done. But for the pressure that lies on Carson Beck's shoulders, I actually think it's probably a little bit less than maybe we would assume. I think the Carson Beck pressure is right around 7.4 out of 10. And the reason why I say that is Carson Beck has so much around him that's going to allow him to be successful. He's going to drop back and he's going to look to his first read, and his second read's going to be someone like Brock Bowers, or it'll be Dominique Lovett, or it'll be any one of the proven commodities that Georgian has on their football team. Also, you got a lot coming back on the offensive line. And then let's just say the worst comes to worst, and you go three and out. Well, you punt the ball away, and you got a defense that's going to have your back. 70% of the production from last year's national title defense is coming back. Yes, you lose some key pieces. Yes, you lose Keely Ringo. You lose Jalen Carter. But even so, man, like that defense is going to be just fine. And the gauntlet ahead for Georgia as we're sitting here in June looking at, you know, this race they have to run. Like the toughest game that I'm seeing on the schedule outside of the SEC title game is going to be Tennessee the second to last week of the season. And at that point, I don't even know if you really call Carson Beck a first-year starter because he's played basically a whole season so for Georgia I think there's a lot around him that takes the pressure off of him they don't need Carson Beck to really be that dude until they get to the SEC title game and they get to the college football playoff if they were to find themselves in that predicament so Carson Beck I think will for the record be really good if you've watched this show for any period of time you know I am extremely high on number 15 for the dogs but I'm just saying the pressure on his shoulders I don't think it's quite as much as maybe the pressure on the dogs and the pressure on Kirby Smart Alabama we don't know who's playing quarterback for them <laughs> could be Jalen Milrow it could be Ty Simpson what we do know is they didn't feel good enough out of spring practice to leave that room as is they brought in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame who Tommy Reese the new offensive coordinator has coached before and man I'll just say this there, there's a lot of pressure similar to Georgia there's a lot of pressure on the brand at Alabama like the brand itself that script day man it carries weight and whoever steps in to be the next quarterback there, you're stepping in trying to fill Bryce Young's sized shoes. Now, there's a little bit tongue-in-cheek in that because Bryce Young, there was a lot of knocks on him coming out with his size. So I, I don't know how large those shoes are literally, but I'll tell you this, metaphorically, there, there's a lot to account for losing a guy like Bryce Young. So there's always going to be pressure if you're the quarterback at Alabama. I'm going to go ahead and put the pressure scale for the starting quarterback at Bama, whoever it is, 
I'm going to put it at an 8.5 because Bama is in a position right now where everybody seems to be just fine throwing stones at Bama and saying they're not going to be this, they're not going to be that. Saban's been passed by. Like, There's a lot of people for the first time now really doubting that Bama's going to find a way to get back. And I say for the first time, this is kind of a thing we've seen with Saban where people say negative things about him and, and how he's not going to be what he's been, and then eventually he'll win a national championship. So keep that in mind. But there's a lot of people here that really feel like there's a, a changing of the guard within the conference with Georgia now winning two national titles. Like Georgia right now is that big dog, no pun intended. But for Bama, I think the formula is going to be much different than what we saw a year ago with Bryce Young. Because last year offensively with Bill O'Brien calling the shots, like there were just some things on this roster that Bama wasn't able to do. Whether you look at the receiver position, whether you look at how they were moving the ball on the line of scrimmage, like there was a lot of times where it was, hey, Bryce Young, we need you to be special. Otherwise, we're not winning this football game. The game against Texas, a perfect example of that one. Texas is on the ropes. Bryce Young goes Houdini style, pulls a rabbit out of the hat. They end up winning that football game. That's not going to be the same approach for Bama this coming season. Like Bama's approach this coming season will be a lot like the old school Bama teams that we've seen before. I've called it bully ball on here a couple of times because I think it works perfectly. They're going to want to bully you in the trenches. So going back to the quarterback position, what's on your plate is just to take care of the ball and get us in good situations and hit the open shot. Like what you saw Bryce Young do last year, Set Hut, Bryce Young be special. Like that, that play's not in the playbook anymore. That's gone with Bill O'Brien. Tommy Reese is like, let's hand the ball off. Let's move that defensive line against their will because we got some stud offensive linemen that can do it. And let's set up third and two. We live in third and two, third and three. If I'm an Alabama fan, we're going to be just fine. Doesn't matter who we got back there. So it matters in the sense that you better have a guy that can do all those things I just said. You better have a guy that can check all the boxes for you. But at Alabama, man, I'm just saying this, the pressure lies in the brand. I don't think the pressure is going to lie on what they ask that quarterback to do. It's not going to be drop back, we got four verts, get through four different progressions and find a way to get it done. Like The pressure is going to be on Tommy Reese, I believe. So an eight and a half for whoever plays quarterback for Bama is what I see as a, a number we're putting on the pressure scale for them, but it's not going to be quite as tall a task as we saw last season and what we asked Bryce Young to do if we're in the Alabama circles. So that's Bama, but let's let's stay in the southeastern region of the country. Let's go down to Clemson, South Carolina. I think there is enormous pressure on Cade Klubnik. I have Cade Klubnik on the pressure scale as a 9.1 out of 10, because how have we talked about Clemson over the last couple of years? Hey, they've got a lot of good pieces on defense, got some good skill players. Maybe they don't have the best receivers in the country, but there's been a lot of shade thrown at the quarterback spot with DJ Uwe Ungalale, whether it's fair or not, and I've been on the front line saying I don't think that's totally fair, but there's also been a lot of shade thrown at the offensive coordinator and who's calling plays, and now you make a switch at both those spots with Garrett Riley entering in as the new OC and Cade Klubnik being the all-everything-out-of-high-school player that he was in the state of Texas, taking over the reins. Like There's a lot of pressure right now because Clemson, similar to Alabama, is kind of on that climb back to the top of the mountain. And a lot of people are saying it can't be done. A lot of people are questioning Dabo. A lot of people are questioning the formula internally at Clemson. And for Cade Klubnik now, a lot of the eyeballs are going to be on him. As it always is if you're playing quarterback at a big-time college football institution. But even more so with what you expect from Clemson. With what we've come to expect from that brand and how they have 
played the quarterback position over the last couple of years, going back to Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, like going back to Taj Boy. They usually have a good quarterback at Clemson. And that wasn't necessarily the definition of the position last year with DJ Uyunglele and his ups and downs. And so I'll just say this for Cade Klubnik, whether Clemson succeeds or fails, there will be blame shifted to him. And that's just kind of how it is. Whether that's fair or not, I'm not here to talk about that, but there is enormous pressure on Cade Klubnik. And I'll say this too, he has invited that by the performance that we saw from him in the ACC title game. Like we, we know this kid can play now. We know the abilities there. Can it all come together? Can he have enough help around him to get it done? That's my big question mark with Clemson. But the pressure for Cade Klubnik, I think, is absolutely there. And I think you welcome that if you're a competitor. And I believe Cade Klubnik is exactly that. Last goal I want to talk about, and we had their head coach on here just moments before if you're watching the live show right now, but that's the Ohio State Buckeyes. That quarterback room, man, two five-stars, whether you go Devin Brown or Kyle McCord, like it's a first-world problem. A lot of coaches would do just ridiculous things to get one of those guys on their roster. Ohio State's got both. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. The standard is the standard at Ohio State, like we've talked about. And Ohio State in 2023 is going to be a Ferrari. So whoever takes over that thing, you're not cruising in the residential. You're not stopping at stop signs and letting pedestrians pass and then turning right on red. Like, that's not how you're living if you're the quarterback at Ohio State. Why? Because you got the horsepower of Travian Henderson and Mayan Williams. No, by the way, arguably the best player in the country and Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside, you got the chance to throw the ball to. Like, we're taking this thing on the freeway. We're going carpool lane with one person in the car. We're going 120. You know you do that, all right? Maybe you don't go 120 in the carpool lane, but you know you go in the carpool lane with one person, all right? It's fine. No judgment. But the reality is whoever ends up taking over that quarterback spot for Ohio State has to be able to go pedal to the metal. Because now people are getting a little bit more restless and saying, well, we haven't beat Michigan in two years. Well, haven't won a national title here in, in a minute. Like, what, what's going on? The pressure's on that quarterback, whoever it is. So for me, I actually gave the highest rate of pressure to whoever ends up getting the, the, uh, the starting nod there in Columbus. I haven't been a 9.8 out of 10. Couldn't bring myself to go 9.9 .9 or, or 10 because that feels like life and death. But 9.8, man, that's the next best thing. State of Ohio, the quarterback, like, that that's about as bright as the spotlight gets. We had Ryan Day on the show, and we did that interview yesterday, and the, uh, the conversation going into that with us here in the bullpen was like, man, this dude, this head coach is the most visible man in all of the state of Ohio. And right underneath the head coach is the quarterback for Ohio State. All right, so I'll just leave it at that. 9.8 on the pressure scale. It's going to be a Ferrari. Take it open as you can on the freeway. The standard is the standard. It doesn't change regardless of whatever happened the last couple of years. So, a lot of contenders with new quarterbacks. I can't wait for them to start playing some games, man. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now in the chat. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel. We're just glad you're here, man. We're very, very glad you're here because we talk ball every single day. And uh, there's a very, very real possibility that we're cut from the same cloth because we're talking about college football in June and you're tuned into a YouTube college football show in June. So, like, we're both kind of junkies for this sport. Why don't you come join the community and uh, be a part of what we got going on here. Now, if you're new to the party, you may not know that at the end of this show, we get into the live chat and we take questions from y'all. So we're not there just yet, but I just want to put that on your radar. Get in the live chat. And uh, Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, 
our heavy lifting producer here is going to get to those and we'll answer those in real time and be a whole lot of fun. All right. Last thing I'll say, follow me on the socials at JD Pakel on Instagram and on Twitter. That's another place where we take questions from. All right. So thank you in advance for that. Let's keep on rolling here now. It is schedule prediction season. Proceed with caution. Very, very difficult to speak in absolutes. And I did a prediction on a certain team schedule the other day. And I got a text from one of our guys that had a disagreement with the, one of the picks that we made on that team. And I just said, listen, dude, if, if I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I'd go to Vegas and I'd cash it in. And I'd retire on an island somewhere tomorrow. So with that being said, we're, we're making predictions here in June. And I got Oklahoma right here for you. So let's go ahead and unpack that one here right now for the Sooners. There's a lot to like about this team. Say what you want about six and seven and what they didn't do last year. There's a lot to like about this team. A lot of close losses last year. Now, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but even so, man, that just shows me that there was the opportunity for this team to have a much better record than they had last year based on the games they were in. Like, they weren't just showing up and losing every game by three touchdowns. That wasn't the formula for Oklahoma. So they're not far off. I really like that Dylan Gabriel is back for another year in Norman, as I'm sure most of the Sooner faithful that are tuned in right now do as well. He is going into another year in Jeff Levy's scheme. And just common sense would tell us the longer you're doing something, the more time you have in anything, whether it's a class or a job, whatever it is, you get better at it. And so Dylan Gabriel getting another year in this offensive system, I think is going to pay dividends. Because at that point, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, having them synced up, man, that is, that, that is paramount. I cannot overstate the importance of that for your football team. So that's good news for the Oklahoma Sooner fans. But that wasn't really the problem last year, was it? That wasn't really the issue last year in Norman. It wasn't really Dylan Gabriel. I mean, you would want him to stay a little bit more healthy. But the issue last year was the defensive side of the ball. And we've thought about it, and we, we've unpacked this. And there's a couple things that you probably believe about Oklahoma based on last year. The first thing you may believe is that the personnel wasn't good enough last year. And I would fall into this category. I would say last year, the flexibility, the versatility, you need to run Brent Venable's defense. It wasn't there last year, Norman. That's okay. It's year one. Trying to figure it out. Probably better than the average roster, but still wasn't good enough. The other thing you may believe, and I think this is a fallacy, Brent Venables can't coach defense. Like, let's not let ourselves wander down that path. Brent Venables can coach defense. He's got a resume that speaks for itself. He's got some jewelry to show for it, like, Let's not wander down that path of he doesn't know what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. And so if we're believing that that's not true and we're falling more in line with that first thought, I'd be encouraged because they went to the portal and got themselves some guys. Desan McCullough being the one that I'm most excited about. He's going to play the kind of that, that cheetah position for Oklahoma. He's about six foot five. He's got some good weight to him, 230, 240. He's going to be flexible in the sense that he can play in pass coverage. As a linebacker, he can rush the passer. Like, he's going to be a problem for you. And that's what you need in this defense. Versatility, flexibility. Also, team speed. I mean, Jaron Kanick, going into another year, going to play linebacker for them this coming season. I expect him to start. He's like a, a low 10-100 guy. Like, 10-3 is what he ran out of high school. That's stupid. If you're playing inside linebacker at Oklahoma, you shouldn't be that fast. They have him on that defense. So, the team speed will be much, much better than what you saw a year ago. So, team speed means you can do a lot of things for me. It means you're versatile, which means it fits better in Brent Menemel's defense. So if you're unhappy with what you saw last year, I don't blame you. The good news, I think last year is not at all indicative of what this coming season will look like for you if you're a Sooner fan. So 
They're built well in all the right spots is what I'm trying to tell you. At the spots you got to be built well at, the quarterback position, team speed on defense, you got those things taken care of. I really want to see who steps up at the wide receiver position, and we'll talk about that more in just a second, but that's going to be crucial for them in this offense with Jeff Levy. So hang on tight. We're going to predict the record here in just a minute. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you've liked the video. All we're going to ask of you. Thank you very much in advance for that because we appreciate y'all making all that happen. All right, so the schedule. It's not rough, man. Like we, we were going through it here. It's, it's not necessarily the hunger games of a schedule that you're going to get when you get to the SEC. I don't see Kansas State. I don't see Texas Tech. I don't see Baylor. You have a game at BYU. You got TCU to end the year. You play Texas, which you always play Texas, and, and you want Texas to be real, y'all. Y'all want some revenge on Texas. I think the the thing for Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12 is they're both going to have superior rosters for the majority of teams that they play here. Like, there's not going to be a game where Oklahoma walks in and says, man, they just got better Jimmys and Joes than us. We got to out-scheme them. Like, outside of the Texas game, that's not really going to be a question mark. And so it then lies in the internal side of things. The execution making the right play, not hurting yourself. Like they're all cliche things. They're all coach speak, but it's coach speak and it's cliche for a reason, probably because it's got some merit to it, probably because it's true. And so for Oklahoma, when I look at the, the record that I'd give them, I think the, the way that I go in, about this is I, pro I probably look at the ceiling and I don't see a ceiling for Oklahoma when it comes to this schedule in itself. Like 12 and 0 is attainable. But for me, I think there's some things that are still maturing internally in, term, in terms of going from year one to year two. You're replacing some pieces on the offensive line. I think 10-2 and two is where I'd put Oklahoma, but I do believe that they'll find themselves right back in that Big 12 title game. So with that whole conversation moving into you know next year, this is your last time in the Big 12. This is your last go-around. And you are going to get everybody's best shot. It's a little bit of an extra emotional tie to this one. Okay? So 12-0 and is attainable. But just understand now, with the way this schedule is shaking out, it's not going to be necessarily week in and week out. You're playing them on stars. Like, you, you're going to be favored in the majority of these games. I'm just telling you right now, barring something wildly unforeseen. So for Oklahoma, I think 10-2 and is realistic. And I'm excited to see how they fare this last year in the Big 12. Should be a whole lot of fun to watch, but... The big part of that now, the wide receiver play. If they elevate there, if they get better at the wide receiver position, they have some explosivity at the defense or at, at the wide receiver position, they're going to be in real good shape because the defense is going to gel. And I think the quarterback's going to be one of the best in the Big 12. So we'll leave it at that now. All right, making sure we're getting in all our questions at the Keeper of the Q, Nick Break. Let's say this now. If we get to 200 likes, because y'all blew 100 out of the water. Like we passed that by our first segment. We get to 200 likes. We'll tell y'all who we got coming on the show next week. Another head coach from a Power 5 school. We already did the interview. We're going to air it next week. Hit that little thumbs up button under the video. If everybody does it right now, we will be over our goal and we'll tell you who we got on. So the ball is now in your court. We'd love to tell you before we get off air, but let's get to that 200 number and we'll, uh, we'll keep on rolling here. All right. So one more prediction for you before we get out of here and get to y'all's questions. The Nebraska Cornhuskers. First year under Matt Rule. And there is a lot of buzz in the air. In Lincoln for the first time in a minute now too because last year there was excitement but it was like man this this might be it for coach frost now we got we, we got to put it together and I was one of those people that believed in Nebraska because of the close losses they had had the year before 
And it felt like Nebraska was just a little bit snake-bitten this past season because they just kept losing close games. And, you know, they were able to kind of salvage it together after Coach Frost got fired earlier in the year. But the excitement around what Matt, Brule, what Matt Rule was bringing to the table is palpable. And there's a lot to like because I think Nebraska, just from the end of last year, going through spring ball and getting into what will be fall camp here in a few short weeks, they're in a much better place. I mean, the roster itself, they improved through the portal. They took 14 transfers, multiple defensive linemen, and got your new starting quarterback in Jeff Sims. That's a huge, huge piece we got to talk about as we break down Nebraska. The other side of this, the culture at Nebraska, anytime you bring in a new staff from a team that was losing previously, it is not a stretch to say that you had a losing culture. And not to overstate the importance of culture, but... A lot of times, culture wins those close games for you. Because culture is kind of the, the broad term that gets on the billboard, but the things that make up culture are details, it's discipline, it's structure, and those are all the things that Matt Rule embodies. Like, you hear about what they're doing at camp right now, and what, what or excuse me, what they went through camp during spring ball. They're making sure you check into practice on time. They're making sure you got the right mouthpiece. They're making sure that your, your chin straps buckle. They're making sure that the, the jersey's over the pads the right way. And that sounds simple. That sounds kind of dumb to the outside looking in, but I promise you, if I can trust you to do the little things well, then I can trust you on fourth and one to block the right guy so we get that first down. And I'm not inside the building, but from what it sounds like, from what we're hearing, that's an upgrade in culture that wasn't there previously. And I would venture to say it probably cost you a few of those close games for Nebraska. So the success for them is going to be predicated on the, on the line of scrimmage. We were fortunate to have Matt Rule on this very show a couple of weeks ago now, I suppose it was. And we asked him, like, hey, what, what's a Matt Rule coach Nebraska team even going to look like? That's kind of a big question because he's only been there all of 15 minutes. But he's like, I, I think we, as a, as a fan base, as a staff, are aligned. Like, we want to block. We want to tackle. We want to win in the trenches. And that's what Nebraska has seen previously when they were living in their glory days. And so that's a match there in the fan base and the staff, but that really is, I think, what you saw Nebraska do when they went to the transfer portal and got who they got. Because last year, I promised you that staff would tell you was not good enough in terms of stopping the run and in terms of protecting the quarterback, wasn't good enough. Was not good enough. So our prediction for Nebraska, the schedule itself is not overwhelmingly difficult but you still play at Colorado game too you got Michigan at home you go at Wisconsin no Ohio State no Penn State if Jeff Sims can take care of the football and if that defense can up their level of play in the trenches they're gonna be okay I really believe that I have Nebraska going six and six their first year under Matt Rule so that means they made a bowl game it means they found a way likely to win some close games it means they probably had some balance offensively and those are all things that I'm buying into with, with Nebraska and Matt Rule. And I'll say this too, Matt Rule has won everywhere he's been. He's been a part of a lot of rebuilds. And when you look at Nebraska compared to those rebuilds, they have a much better jumping off point than he did at Baylor or than he did at Temple. Like those rosters, we'll just talk about Baylor. They were at ground zero, man. Like there were people in Waco talking about the death penalty for Baylor. And he took them and got them back to a Big 12 title game. Like, I don't think that should just be looked past. But this roster at Nebraska now, like, to be real, you talk to people at Nebraska, they feel like they could have made a bowl game last year. 
They felt like they have the personnel to be good enough last year to go 6-6, six and six, and it didn't happen, so woulda, shoulda, coulda. But I think for, for Matt Rule, if he was able to do that with rosters that were down bad, and this roster's in a better place, I think you can have higher expectations for what year one looks like. So 6-6 six and six is the number I'm going with, but history tells us, man, he's going to win at Nebraska. To what degree, I don't know because it's not getting any easier. You got USC and UCLA joining the Big 12. You got no more divisions here in 2024. Like That makes the path harder for sure. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin. Like You, you know the deal here if you're a Nebraska fan. You know what it is. But I would just say this. What Nebraska needs going forward is exactly what Matt Rule is going to bring to the table, which is one structure, which we already talked about, details, discipline, doing things the right way all of the time because that translates in games and evaluation. Matt Rule is going to evaluate as good, if not better than anybody else in the country. And I did not say they're going to recruit better than anybody else in the country. I don't think you're going to see Nebraska hanging out in the top five of the on three team recruiting industry rankings. Like I don't think that's going to be how they get down. I'm sure they would love to do that. But the way that I see it, they're going to go out and get guys they see potential in. That three-star, maybe that four-star, maybe. Maybe that high two-star. Like It's going to be guys that are somewhere in that middle tier of the recruiting landscape. But they're going to take them, bring them in. Maybe you redshirt them. Maybe you give them a couple years on the sideline learning. But once they hit the field, once they've been developed, they are going to be playing at a four-star level, in my humble opinion. I mean, I was around Baylor when Jalen Petrie was there. And he was a guy that wasn't really getting on the field, quite frankly, at Baylor. Like, he was trying to figure out his role. Was he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Well, Jalen Petrie, right now, is a safety for the Houston Texans, was a second-round pick, is tearing it up in the NFL. Wasn't highly recruited. Wasn't somebody everybody wanted. Wasn't even actually recruited by Matt Rule. He got to Baylor and then was developed by Matt Rule and his staff. And so the developmental part of this and the evaluation part of this with kids once they're on campus is going to be crucial. So... For Nebraska, got him going 6-6. Six and six. Going to be a big, big deal to win close games, but that's how we feel about the Cornhuskers going into 2023. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Make sure you like the video. If we get a few more likes, let's see, we're at 167 right now. Everybody like that video right now. We'll tell you who we got on next week. All right, so the ball is in your court. We appreciate you in advance for that. But right now, to answer some of y'all's uh, college football questions, concerns, just things you want to talk about. Keeper of the queue, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, my guy? What's up, buddy? Biggest Thursday of the week, man. How we feeling? Yeah, you know, you only get one, so you might as well have a good one, right? Right? Got to do it, man. Got to do it. What's, uh, what's the people of the, of the live chat saying right now? What are, we, what are we hearing? Well, first and foremost, man, it has been hostile in the comments chat today. Hmm. Guys, it's just college football. I know that's like saying it's just for everyone here. You know, it's just the entire universe. But yeah, I think you're throwing gasoline on the fire there, Nick. No I, need that, to be that, mean that to may, one another. That may another, not though. do the trick there. We've got some people being mean to each other. Um, <laughs> Tennessee and Ohio State fans are at war at the moment. So I was like, you know what? Why not as well pose a question? A question to the chat: Who wins in this hypothetical 2023 matchup? <laughs> Ohio State, Tennessee. Sixty-two percent of the vote says Ohio State. So the people no have kidding. spoken. Now here's the thing: obviously you're just throwing had, gasoline on the fire there, though, Nick. I, I love it. Bit. I, I love it. But you know why not? Trey and I were back here, you know, 
thinking, why not? We're going to do this. But, J.D., anyway, um, we've got some questions. Craig Fox, hypothetical here. If Nebraska and Michigan are both 4-0 going into the matchup together in Week 5, do you see go, um, game day going back to Lincoln? Dude, I hope so. That would be incredible. I'll say this, too. I think College Game Day would want to go to Lincoln. And here's the thing. I mean, whatever pregame show that you grew up with, whether it's Big Noon on Fox or whether it's College Game Day, like, it is a very big deal when one of those shows decides to come to town because it's a spotlight on your team. It's a spotlight on your campus, on your student body. And I'll just say this, too. Like, I've been in town when Game Day's in town, and the buzz in the air is palpable it feels like the spotlight of the college football world is just shining down on you for that three hours on that saturday morning and you know it's, it's kind of your uh your 15 minutes of fame if you will for certain schools not all schools some of them just welcome every week and they say hey game day welcome back we've seen you every single year uh but I, i'll just say for for nebraska i think that would be something that could uh kind of ignite some more excitement around the program and be something that is kind of a signal fire to the rest of college football like Regardless of what happens in that game, if they get game day to campus, that could kind of be the uh, the beacon to the rest of the the country that like, hey, Nebraska, we're starting to get things going over here. So I, I hope so, Craig. That would be phenomenal. But uh, I think they would be looking for a reason to get there. I also think that since it's a Big Ten game, I wonder if Big Noon wouldn't be this the operation that shows up there. Maybe you get both. I don't know. But uh, I think that would be tempting. I'll just say that. I think it'd be tempting. Okay. Good question to start things out. Uh, Kay, ask Jag, ask JD, what Power 5 quarterback has the shortest leash and the room for error going into the season? So it kind of goes on mm. what you said about new quarterbacks, but this kind of opens up to everybody. What do you think, JD? Man, that's a very good question. The shortest leash. I'm just starting to even think who, who would be a part of this list here. We talked about the new quarterbacks and the contenders. Man, you know, who? this is a kind of interesting one. I think Spencer Rattler, I don't know if his leash is short, but people are forgetting what he did the first half of last season. Like, the first half of last season for Spencer Rattler was not glamorous. Like, I think he threw, like, five touchdowns early in the year and had, like, almost double-digit interceptions or close to it. Like, the interception-to-touchdown ratio wasn't pretty. I'll leave it at that. So, I don't know if his leash is short, but I think he's someone that you definitely keep a very close eye on just to say, like, okay... What are you what are you going to be? What are you going to be when we get into, you know, some of the, the meat of the schedule? I mean, that game against Georgia, I think, is gonna be very telling. Because a lot of your hopes about South Carolina are probably predicated on him picking up where he left off. So I think his leash is maybe relatively short. Uh, I'm curious to see at Alabama, like whoever it is is gonna be a new quarterback, but whoever gets out there and, and doesn't necessarily like light it up, if that's the way that goes early on. There's going to be two other guys back that the fan base is going to be saying, well, hey, why isn't quarterback A playing, quarterback B playing? If Tyler Buckner's not playing, why do we bring him here and he's not even starting? So I'm, I'm curious to see how that shakes out, Nick. I, I would say probably those are the schools I'd look at most closely uh, to have, have some, uh, I don't know if hostility is the right word, but maybe some extra attention at the quarterback spot. Yeah, well said. Michael Hartz, who, by the way, called me. Something you've called me before, Nick, ga all gas, no brakes. Yeah. I don't know if you've said that on the air or something. Uh, he asked, hashtag SJD. We talked a lot about yours leading up to the championship, or leading the ship, excuse me, at Texas. But how concerned are we about the running back room? Obviously, you lose a lot last year. How big of a step do uh, running backs have to take to help them? JD, before you start, I think Cedric Baxter is going to be playing as a freshman quite a bit. 
No, I agree with you, Nick. You, I mean, you said you you hit it right on the head. I, I think CJ Baxter is going to be a guy for you. CJ. No, no, CJ. I mean Cedric. Oh, Cedric's yeah, his right. real name, but I mean CJ has been what he's been going by. Yeah. On the but roster. Cedric's such a cool name, man. Just go like it's Cedric's such a cool. cool name. I'm partial to the initials too, so that's maybe not really <laughs> fair. But no, Cedric, CJ, whatever you want to call him, just give him the ball, let him work. I think he's going to be a guy for you. They've been really impressed with Savian Red as well, the converted wide receiver to the running back position. Heard a lot about him at a spring ball. Uh, Keelan Robinson. So the, the way that I'm going with this is maybe you don't have that household name like a Bijan Robinson or that alpha dog like a Roshan Johnson, but I still think there's a lot of talent in that room that is just waiting to prove themselves. So I think the running back room will actually be just fine, to be honest with you. I think that it'll still be a thing where you have to capitalize in the pass game. Like whatever that running back room does, it's going to be great, but I think it will be an accessory to getting the ball to those playmakers on the outside. Like I, th I think the key to this season for Texas resides with Quinn Ewers. I mean, it does. He's going to get all the praise if they do well, going to get all the flack if they fall in their face. So I think the running back room is, is definitely enough of what you need to check the box, but I don't think it'll be a thing like last year, as you alluded to, where you hand the ball to B. John Robinson and just let him work. I don't think it'll be like that. Mm -hmm. JD, we have a lot of questions today. If you've got some time, I for love a few it, man. More. I love it. Here, I'll, I'll throw this out there too as we're answering these questions. Mm -hmm. We're going to go probably for five more minutes. Okay. And we are 25 likes away from telling y'all who we got on the show next coming week. All right. So if y'all could hit the thumbs up button under the show, we will be there. So I'm, I already know it's going to happen. So I'm just going to say thank you in advance. So thank mm -hmm. you for getting us 200 likes. That's out there right now. All right. What do we got, Big Nick? Okay, we got some questions, but first a hot take from Jesse Adams. Hashtag Ooh. SJD. Here's my hot take. Michigan State is going to be 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, and they will win uh, versus Washington. And that's a pretty big one, JD. <laughs> that's a big one. People are sleeping on their front seven, on their defensive line, and uh, Jesse wants to know your thoughts on that. I think Jesse asked that on Tuesday as well, so thanks, Jesse, for coming back and asking this because I don't think we got to it last time. Yeah, shout-out, Jesse, for being persistent. If we don't get to your question today – Come right back here. Tuesdays, Thursdays, we're live, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. Always taking questions from y'all. Jesse, I, uh, I love spice as much as anybody else. I put Tabasco on everything. This, to me, though, it's a little bit too hot, bruv. It's a little bit, little bit too hot for me, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't think that Michigan State, personnel-wise, has enough to get to where they want to go this coming season. Now, if you're telling me, hey, Michigan State's going to make a bowl game, I would say, well, that probably means that Noah Kim was that dude. It probably means that you're right about the front seven. The thing that I really want to probably disagree with the most in that statement is the game against Washington. And, you know, we'll talk about it when it gets here. And if I'm wrong, wouldn't it be the first time? But Washington is going to be a team that, with Michael Penix Jr., and with all that they have coming back at the skill position players, like they're going to be a team that I think is a force to be reckoned with, not just in the Pac-12, but across the country. Like They're a team that could very, very reasonably be somewhere in the top 10 by like the first month of the season. So we'll keep an eye on Washington. That'll be a good game to watch against Michigan State, but I would have to disagree with that take as of today. Uh, JD, Trevor Collins has found a potential dark horse in the Big 12. Hashtag Ask JD. They're not talked about as much as most, but how do you view Oklahoma State? I know there's a lot they lost in the portal, but I heard they picked up uh, quite a bit as well, and then they've got a good quarterback, and then uh, followed up by saying they weren't aware about how injured their O-line was at the end of last year, and that they were only practicing with six linemen 
this year, they're much healthier. JD, what do you think about Oklahoma State? I think if you're betting on Oklahoma State, you're betting with Mike Gundy. And that's not a bad bet to make. Like, Mike Gundy has proven year in and year out he's going to win some ball games. Um, I don't know if I like Oklahoma State as much as I have in years past. You said they got a good quarterback. I would be asking who's going to play quarterback for Oklahoma State. I don't even know if they have a solid feel on that internally. So Oklahoma State, if you're saying they're a dark horse, I would listen. But I, I'm not buying a ton of Oklahoma State stock for this coming season. But again, far be it for me to bet against Mike Gundy. So mm-hmm. love Mike Gundy. Don't feel amazing about Oklahoma State going into this coming season for reasons that you just mentioned. They'll be without Spencer Sanders, who as, mu- as many faults as he had on the field, yeah. He was still, you know, the leader for you of that football team. He's transferred out. I'm curious about Oklahoma State. We'll see. Well, Well, and I kind of messed up Trevor's question. Trevor, I apologize. Said, how do you feel about Bowman at quarterback or Bowman? Oh, okay. I've not. I don't. I don't know who that is, JD. Yeah, if he's is he referencing Allen Bowman? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see about that one. We'll we'll uh, we'll have to put that one on the back burner, and we're just going to wait to see who ends up starting for them, and we'll break that one down some more. Cool. Trevor, thank you so much. Uh, J.D., what do you say two more? I don't think Alan Bowman's even at Oklahoma State, but yes, let's, let's keep on rolling, brother. Yeah, I'll have I'm to look that, that one up for you, J.D., during this question if you want. No, no, bring it on, brother. What we got? Um, well, I'm looking around. This is a good one, J.D. From Javier Rivera, hashtag AskJD, what are some key weaknesses that Florida State will need to approve by week one to secure a win against LSU? Dude, Alan Bowman is at Oklahoma State. When did, that. That, when did that Trevor. happen? When did that happen? He has been all over the place. That's, is that Texas yeah. Tech? Is that Michigan? Hey, good, good for Alan Bowman then. Man, to be honest with you, I think Alan Bowman's a, a big question mark. We'll see what he does. I mean, he hasn't been the guy in, in a minute here. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Back in the Big 12, though, good for Alan Bowman. Learn something new every day. Well, Sorry, Bowman. Nick. What, what was that question? Yeah, I'll ask again. Um, Javier Rivera says... Uh, what are some key weaknesses that Florida State will need to approve before week one to get a win over LSU? That's kind of the thing with Florida State now. Like, you look across the roster and you don't see a ton of weaknesses. Like, I think the things that you think about for Florida State is, okay, well, can we make good on what are supposed to be our strengths? Because they bring back the most returning production in the country. I mean, offensively and defensively, you feel pretty good about your, your, you know, your depth and, and who you have. I mean, the big thing for, for Florida State is can they stay healthy? If they can stay healthy, if Jordan Travis can pick up where he left off, that's going to be the thing for them this coming season. Um, I've sort of been on the the front lines here saying, I need to see more points scored by Florida State. But you bring in Keon Coleman, you got Jaheim Bell at tight end. Like, they got a lot of size. If they can be as explosive with that size as you would hope they can be, they're, they're going to be just fine. So I think if I had to pick one thing that I, I wanted to nitpick on just a little bit, and it's it's beyond week one, I need to see more points from Florida State. And they scored 35 a year ago, but every team that made the college football playoff last year scored right around 40 points a game. So will that be what they need week one? I don't know. But my, my overarching thought for Florida State mm-hmm. on the season is that. But no, I mean, week, week one, there's no weakness more or less that I'm looking at and saying, yeah, they got to figure that out. I, I don't see that for Florida State because of all, the, that, all that, they, uh, that they bring back. Awesome, J.D. Before I ask the last question, a couple shout-outs in here, some cool messages. Jr. JD's next Paul Feinbaum, uh, Joshua Beck, <laughs> good stuff, dude. The sky's the limit for you in sports media. Joshua Beck, awesome comment. Uh, not so awesome. Atlanta United uh, jersey in his uh, profile picture. They just beat DC United. My oh, there team you go. This past weekend, JD. So not too cool there. But thanks everyone for your cool messages. 
um, continue to come every Tuesday, Thursday. Last question, J.D. Cole. Hashtag AskJD with the additions. The Big Ten and the SEC have made. The schedules are stacked. Can you see the Big 12 adding an, an Oregon or a Washington team to help their conference going forward? You know, there's also rumblings around Oregon and Colorado and Arizona. I mean, the Big 12 is going on offense. Before we answer this here, Nick, appreciate you, man. We'll do this again on Tuesday? Well, we won't do it Tuesday because you won't be here, man. But it'll I'll be, be in out. the chat we'll be during back. the, the we'll be recording, back. and I'll be at, um, answering some questions for everybody. Me and Trey will be. So uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks, J.D. Beautiful. Nick, appreciate you, man. Trey holding it down. Back in the bullpen, the boys making everything that you see here happen. Before we get to this question, that's important to note. Yes, the show will not be live, but it will be premiering at the exact same time. So nothing really changes here on our end. Nothing really changes here on your end. Just to understand, if you go to the live tab, it's not going to be there, but it will be premiering. We will have two full-length shows for you, and we do have a Power 5 head coach that is set to come on next week. So go ahead and like the video. We'll tell you who it is if we get to 200. But to answer your question here, I think the Big 12 is going on on offense, and that's been well-documented. I mean, Brett Yormark has made no hesitations about that. And the, the reason why I think the Big 12 is in a good position here is Brett Yormark is exactly what I think the doctor ordered for where they're sitting right now. Like, the Big 12 right now is looking to acquire teams to keep pace with the SEC and the Big 10. And Brett Yormark, his background is in entertainment. Like, he used to work with Jay-Z. Like, like the, the dude is not necessarily like a college football guy, but he's exactly what you need right now when you're trying to add teams. Because you look at conference realignment, and it's unfortunate, but money is kind of what runs this whole show. And we'll, we'll break down these games when they get there in the future, and we have the new conferences. And I just talked about the SEC scheduling that I'm actually a pretty big fan of with those matchups we get. But Brett Yormark, I will... 1,000% believe is going to go on offense and going to try and add some of these pieces. I think Oregon's really appealing. I think Colorado's really appealing. And I think Washington's appealing. I mean, Oregon, if you had to pick one school, I think Oregon's the one you go after because of the brand power and the reach they're going to have. And also, I think just all their athletic programs are pretty solid. So football obviously being one of those. So yeah, so Oregon would be the, the school that I would go after. And the Big 12 will absolutely look to expand more. Would be wildly surprised if they don't. Listen, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Appreciate everybody tuned in on podcast. Let me know how and where you are listening. Whether you want to comment on the YouTube page, whether you want to get at me on Twitter or on Instagram. Are you listening during your job? You listening at school? Listening on podcast, YouTube? Like how and where are you listening? Just appreciate hearing from y'all and appreciate y'all being a part of what we're doing here. College football is a year-round affair. You love it. We love it. We're glad to have you part of us. All right. So make sure you subscribe and like the video on your way out the door. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling and we will see y'all next time.